You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to the latest edition of Beyond the Headlines. I hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. Our guest this week has graced the pages of Sports Illustrated, single-handedly taking down the University of Colorado's football program simply by telling her truth. Pam Parker Fine was beaten repeatedly, and this Thursday, her boyfriend, Joe Tumpkin, will face Pam for the first time during sentencing. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you for having me. So, Pam, tell us your story. Tell us your truth. Tell us what is what has been going on for the past two years or so. Yeah, it's been over two years. It's been a really long process. Um, but it started, uh, I guess it started... I started dating Joe. He was the defensive coordinator at Central Michigan University when I started dating him. And, uh, you know, when Danny Nose left, then Joe got a job at University of Colorado as a safeties coach. And that's when the abuse started. When he moved out to Colorado, um, I would go out to visit him and we got a place together out there and we were going to get married. And um, the abuse started shortly after he moved there in 2015. And it was, I I had never had anyone hurt me before. Um, And so it took me, it was just, I don't know. I look back on it and I don't understand. I know people say, why did you keep going back? And there's always a lot of um, victim shaming and blaming, but I look back upon it and um, it's not something that I would have ever seen myself being a part of. Uh, So, uh, our abuse was always over the fact that uh, I would find out that he had not been faithful in some way um, or another. And I would say, you know, that's it. I, d- I don't want to be together anymore. I'm going, I'm leaving. And I would, I would go to leave. And then that's when the abuse would start. You know, you're not leaving. You're not leaving me. You're wrong. And um, it involved, um, you know, throwing me up against the walls. There was a lot of strangulation getting on top of me, preventing me from leaving. Um, and then, you know, he would uh, bite my face, uh, pull me by my hair, um, that sort of thing. Uh, so there were 911 calls from neighbors there. Um, the police had shown up um, before and, uh, you know, this went on for, you know, uh, the last two years of our relationship that he was in Colorado. So the last event was November 20th, 2016. And it was, it was pretty bad. And I had decided that I was never going back. So I came home and to Detroit, um, I live in Pontiac and I came home and decided that I was done and I had never told my family. I hadn't told anyone, um, And so I told my mother and my sister what had been going on. And, you know, I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I still loved him and I was very protective of him, but I was very worried that he would 
kill the next woman. And I felt a great responsibility to the next female. Uh, so we talked about different things. I didn't want my son to find out. He had played for Joe at Central Michigan. I knew that it would be devastating for him to find out that Joe had hurt me. So um, we talked about different things that I could do. And so I decided to call Coach McIntyre, who is a head coach at Colorado, and who was on a very friendly basis with me. I'd gone on, you know, out with the team. I'd gone to the Broadmoor and overnight trips and weddings. So I was Facebook friends with his wife and I just sent her a Facebook message and said, Hey, could you please have Matt call me? And he called me like within a minute of her picking up the message. And so I spoke with coach McIntyre for about 35 minutes and I told him, you know, uh, about the abuse. I told him that Joe had been beating me and for two years and that he was very violent and that he was going to kill me. Um, if he lost his job, I said, he will kill me. And I'm very worried that he is going to kill the next woman and he drinks and drives and he is dangerous and I need you to help him. I don't want him to lose his job. I don't want to go to the police. I don't, I just want you Mac to know how dangerous he is and to get him the help that he needs. And so Mac said, you know, I believe every word you said, are you safe? I'm like, yeah, I'm back in Michigan. I'm never coming back. And he said, okay, well, I have to talk to some people and, and uh, I'll get back to you. And, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to give you any evidence, Matt, because I'm not going to put you in an Art Briles situation. I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. I just need you to know that this is true. And he said, oh, I, I believe you. And so the next morning I call him and I said, I'm sorry, I forgot, Matt. There is evidence. Like there's evidence out there. There's been 911 calls. And I said, the police showed up. So the reporters haven't found it yet, but I don't want you to be blindsided. That is out there. And he said, okay, thanks for letting me know. I'm talking to Rick George, the AD. And he's out of town and we're going to sit down tomorrow and I'll call you back. And he hung up the phone and I heard nothing for four days, like not a word. And then my phone rang with a Colorado number and I picked it up and there was a gentleman on the phone and he said, this is John Banaschek. I am the criminal defense attorney for Joe Tumpkin. I understand you called coach McIntyre. And I just panicked um, mm -hmm. because then I knew that Mac had told Joe I knew that no one was going to be talking to me, that they had sent in a guy to fix this. And he offered me money and he said, you know, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? I can, I can fix this. You know, I know you don't want to hurt Joe. I know you don't want to hurt the program. And, you know, um, you've got everyone out, out here on pins and needles waiting to see what you're going to do. And, he called me again and I was, you know, and by this time my family was like, you have to get a restraining order. They have told Joe, Joe's going to kill you. And so, um, I called Mike McIntyre again, left a message. Hey, I'm coming out to get a restraining order. I don't want you to be blindsided. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm hurting you and the team. And, um, and I flew out to, uh, Denver and I met my sister-in-law there from Dallas and, we went into the police department in Broomfield and I told my story. And in the meantime, that was December 19th. I called Mike McIntyre on December 9th. On December 16th, in between those two dates, they promoted Joe with full knowledge of everything he had done. 
they promoted him for the Alamo Bowl to be the defensive play caller because their defensive coordinator had left to go to Oregon, Jim Levitt. So I knew that they were that they were sending in people to pay for my silence and that they were now promoting Joe, who they knew was an abuser. And I knew that it was really just pretty much me against the University of Colorado Athletic Department at that point. Sure. Yeah. And originally, just so that we're clear, what did you want yeah. from from Joe or what did you want from the university? I wanted to know that that uh, no other woman would be hurt. And I look back on it now and I am a counselor and I hear, you know, like people will say, well, what did you want Mac to do? Like you put him in a terrible position. I was an abused woman. Like I called him as a battered woman. Um, And so I was reaching out to him and what I wanted was Joe to be safe. I didn't want him. I was very protective of Joe at that time. I wasn't protective of myself. I wasn't protective of, I loved him and didn't want him in trouble, but I didn't want him drinking and driving. I I wanted Mac to sit him down and in my head, I wanted Mac to sit him down and say, look, I talked to Pam and you're going to go get some treatment and we're going to keep this quiet, but you are on a leave of absence until you complete a domestic violence program or you complete an alcohol program. That in my head is what would have been ideal. And so uh, I never anticipated that he would hang up. Mike McIntyre hung up with me right after I told him about the 911 call. And um, he hung up. He hired his own attorney and blocked my calls and didn't tell me. So I continued to call him and leave messages, not knowing I had been blocked. So he blocked my calls and lawyered up. And they sent in their fixer, John Banaschek, to offer me money. And then they promoted him. And I had never heard from Mike McIntyre again from when we hung up the phone on that day. Um, I never heard from anyone at the University of Colorado again. So um, and, I know. And, and just so we're clear, Mike yeah, McIntyre has been fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Not has for been. This. Well. <laughs> Not for this. He was promoted. On, he was given a on, raise. Well, we can understand how college athletics works. Because, I mean, we're talking about a chancellor that has been fined $100,000 and was suspended for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And so at some point, it had to reach his desk. Oh, yes. Y- yeah. You know, and, and so, and so I, I just want to be yeah. clear that, you know... Um, that this situation was, was it it reached the highest levels of the university as well, and so it wasn't just the president nec- of the university was involved. Yes, and so I just wanted to make that clear, and then uh, and in making that clear, what did the school ultimately find, and what did the school? Well, we've laid out some of the things that the, they did, but but lay out exactly what happened with University of Colorado sure. with this whole situation hanging over their heads. Sure. So I, um, so my son, actually, I had to tell him what had happened once I went to the police and there was a restraining order against Joe. Um, the police ended up charging Joe with five, fel- five felonious assault charges and three misdemeanor assault charges all against me. Um, assault with a deadly weapon, which was his hands. So they found enough evidence to charge him with all of that. Um, on 
February 3rd, I came out with a story on with Sports Illustrated. So um, at this point, the University of Colorado was now trying to backtrack because they had promoted Joe, but no one knew that they knew. No one knew that I called Meg McIntyre on December 9th. No one knew that the university knew anything about this. So they came out and said, you know, we're very disturbed to find out that there's this restraining order and that there, there is a victim involved who is claiming this. We're going to look into this. They acted like they had just found out when the news broke. So on February 3rd, the Sports Illustrated expose came out where I spoke and explained that I had contacted Mike McIntyre on December 9th and that everyone had known prior to him being promoted and that this man Banishek had called and offered me money. And so after the Sports Illustrated story broke, the Board of Regents at the University of Colorado said that they wanted an investigation. So they put Mike McIntyre's, um, he was up for a contract extension. They put that on hold pending the investigation. They hired um, Cozen O'Connor, who was, it was uh, Leslie Gino's, Leslie Gomez and Gina Smith. They are the two women who were with Pepper Hamilton and they did the Baylor report. So they hired them. Um, they were then with Cozen O'Connor. They flew out to Detroit and they met with me for eight hours and they were wonderful. Uh, I handed over all my phone records, all of my notes, everything, all of my evidence. I gave them everything. And they ended up writing a 97-page report, 85 of which um, I received. There's 12 missing pages that we're not allowed to have. But in that report, it was month-long investigation. In that report, it that's how I found out that my phone calls were blocked by Mac, Mike McIntyre. I didn't know until I read the report. Um, and it, they ended up finding basically that Mike McIntyre told Rick George. Rick George, who's the AD, told Phil Stefano, who's the chancellor. The chancellor told the president of the university, Bruce Benson. Those are the four men who knew. And those four men, one of whom created created the office of the office of um, um, it's of the OIEC, which is a reporting office. And he created um, the procedures about reporting. And he said that this didn't need to be reported to anyone. <laughs> so the four men knew. Um, and so they tried to they shut it down. Him. Yeah, they just covered it up. They didn't tell anyone. It, they just, they reported up the chain to the president of the university and they promoted Joe, and this all happened prior to the Alamo Bowl, and then Joe coached the Alamo Bowl, and they all knew at that time, that was December 28th was the Alamo Bowl, they had a copy, those men had a copy of my police statement on December 21st. So they claimed that they knew nothing about it, and then the report came out and showed that they knew everything. They knew all of it, and um, so the Board of Regents, found, decided to let Bruce Benson, who's the president, they said, we're going to let him give the consequences. He was culpable. He knew ahead of time. So they let him do the consequences. So they come out with this report and Bruce Benson says, you know, oh, mistakes were made, but these are good men. They're friends of mine. He's quoted in the paper. These are friends of mine. I don't want to see anything bad happen to them. I know them and their families. And so he gave Mike McIntyre and Rick George each got a $100,000 fine and um, Chancellor Stefano, who was involved in the previous CU scandals, 
he gave himself a 10-day suspension unpaid during the summer. So, and then that was it. And two days later, the Board of Regents voted to give Mike McIntyre a contract extension and a $16.25 million um, raise. Hmm. And then he, he got fired because they started losing. Um, so he coached another um, two seasons, another two seasons before they fired him. Um, so, and he got fired because they didn't win, not because of anything to do with this. So. We'll agree to disagree. Um, I mean, I, 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 I do believe that obviously winning is important. Um, but you're, mm-hmm. but when you are losing and you have this scandal that continues to hang over your head, um, then they begin to look at the $16.5 million and to begin to think whether that's worth it or not. Um, and I think, right. I think, I agree with that. And I, I and help. I think, I think in, I think in, th- there are things in the athletic profession that, that comes out in public. Um, and there are things that happen in private. And so publicly, they were trying to say that it was about completely winning and losing, um, that they went from a bowl team to a team um, that was losing within two years, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in, in, this, in this losing period that they had, you could reasonably t- deduce that they weren't getting players because of the scandal that was hanging over their heads. And so how do you recruit yeah, under, how do you recruit under that un, under that guise that's under this thing that's hanging over your head? How do you recruit? Because there're going to be negative recruiting that goes on across the country and every school right, in America is going to tell yeah. their kid, "Why would you send your kid to X university and this is going on?" And so you know, I, I I just think that there was a little bit – I think that there there may have been a little bit more at play than just the football aspect. Um, Possibly. That's that's possible. It's, it's just hard because Rick George still is considered – and he's still employed there and the chancellor. And, and abso- the absolutely. All, everyone's still there except for Mac. Right. You know. And, and so – yeah. Getting getting back to your situation, I mean, what did this process mm-hmm. teach you, and what are some of your major regrets? Um, not necessarily in dealing with Joe, but how you dealt with the situation at hand. Um, we all yeah. tend to know that um, a situation like that is wrong. Um, However, it's really what happens or how you deal with it after it comes upon you. And so what were some of your regrets in dealing with this situation as well? Well, I regret, obviously, I I trusted Mike McIntyre so much. Like I thought he was like an amazing person. And I told Sports Illustrated that and I told Detective Hamill that at the police department. And like I really just had a tremendous amount of faith in him as a man uh, I now regret that it took a very long time. It really took until the report was finished by Cozen O'Connor for me to change my view of who he was. 
And I started, and it was very difficult to read that report and hear that he had blocked my calls that morning and know how, you know, and they found, they retrieved my voicemails that I had left on his blocked messages. And when I read back those transcripts, it doesn't sound like me to me. I sound so afraid and so apologetic and so timid and things that I don't, I, I look back on that and um, I was so different then, um, but I was terrified. And so I would, looking back, I would not have called Mike McIntyre. Um, I, you know, looking back, I regret not telling the police that night when they showed up that, you know, that yes, I am being abused. Um, you know, I jumped under, they knocked on the door and it was 1230 at night, Colorado time. And he had been beating me for a while. And, um, I said, that's the police Joe. And I ran and jumped under the covers. I still had on all my clothes and I jumped under the covers and pulled them up to my neck. And, um, a police officer stood with Joe in the kitchen and another police officer came into the bedroom with me and he's like, can you step out? And I said, Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm not dressed. And if I would have, he would have seen, like, he would have seen that my neck was red. He would have seen that there, you know, my arms were red and from being grabbed and thrown. Um, and he said, oh, oh, and he got embarrassed, you know, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I just haven't seen him in a while. I must, we must have gotten too loud. I'm really sorry. And he goes, that's okay. And he goes to leave and Joe is out in the kitchen with the other police officer talking to him about. Colorado football and do you like Colorado football and do you ever go to the games? And so they left. Um, I regret not telling the truth that night and this wouldn't have happened. I regret telling Mike McIntyre. I regret trusting um, really a college athletic program because I know better. I know it's a business. My son played college football. Uh, I was engaged to a man who was in college football. I know it's a business and I somehow believed that they cared about me and I believed that we could, it was more of a family because, you know, people are like, well, don't go to someone's employer. You wouldn't, well, yeah, you know, if I was married to like an accountant, I probably wouldn't go to his boss, but college football is very different. You know, it's very much about protecting each other and protecting the program and protecting the boys and the image and the brand. And I believed I was a part of that. And I didn't want to hurt the boys. I didn't want to embarrass the program. I was didn't want to hurt Joe. And I realized that my loyalty was very uh, displaced. And there was no loyalty back at all, like none. So that part I regret. Um, and, and, and what did I the process teach you? Story. Go ahead. I'm sorry. In, in the process, what did it teach you? And what do you what do you tell others now that are going through situations that are very similar? Uh, it taught me and I'm hoping that it, I ho- I'm hoping this changes over time because I work with, you know, high school kids. And right now I am very reticent to tell anyone to come forward. Um, what it's taught me is, is that coming forward is not safe. It is, it is a grueling process where, you know, I've always heard, you know, you get re-victimized in the process. I had no idea how badly um, you get re-victimized in the process. Um, so I have learned uh, I'm probably more guarded than I used to be. I have learned to believe survivors because I was, you know, I would question people in my head. I wouldn't say it out loud, 
but I would hear stories and I would think, yeah, but why didn't she, or I wonder if, or, you know, that coach seems like a good guy. And there was always in my mind, like some doubt, there has to be more to that story. And what I learned is, is that sometimes it's just really exactly the story that the person is saying. And sometimes it's just really awful behavior. That's hard for me to believe. Um, I, I think that there is institutional, um, uh, corruption at a lot in a lot of different institutions. And I, I have been surprised by the NCAA. I have been like, I have learned that this is a system that I really don't want to be near. Um, because it's not, it's really not safe. You know, the NCAA, Phil Stefano, who's the chancellor, who's been involved now in two or three scandals at the university of Colorado and created this office and, and he flat out in that report, when you read it, he flat out was in part, was part of covering this up. He sits, he is the only chancellor, the only one in the, in the country um, to sit on the board at the NCAA. And this report came out, he suspended the NCAA never said a word. They never removed him from the council. As a matter of fact, they put him on, um, on writing the new reporting laws for the NCAA. It, and I was like, they're not even going to come out with a statement. They're not going to remove him from the board. There's nothing. So it's shocking to me that just it just continues. And I think the system is is pretty broken. And I don't know how many times this is going to happen. You know, Michigan State's in the middle of something now again. Um, how many times is this going to happen where, you know, you hear that things were covered up or things weren't addressed or, you know, that that girl who just came forward and her saying that she was told, well, you're going up against some pretty big fish. That type of, that type of institutional neglect and mistreatment of victims, I don't, I don't know how that gets better. Um, but I have, I've learned in this process that I, I believe survivors much more than I used to because I've gone through it and I've seen, you know, what I didn't think was possible. And that sort of leads me to my next question. Um, how did the, the Nasser situation, uh, the girl last week um, that came out with her um, um, uh, lawsuit against Michigan State University, um, how does that um, play into your fears and, and the things that you dealt with? Um, and how does that make you revisit all of the things that you dealt with before? Well, uh, I'm inspired because I know what it has taken. You know, when I saw that that girl was going to do a press conference and and stand up and then no, I just knew for a fact that there were going to be many, many people who didn't believe her, who said she was a money grab, all the things that people said about me. Um, and so I, I admire anyone who has the strength to do that. I would not do this process again. Like if I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have never gone to the police. Um, and I had a wonderful, and, and why not? The police department was great. Pardon? I said, and why not? Uh, because it's been two and a half years and I'm just now going to sentencing on Thursday next a week from today. Um, my mother and my son and I are all speaking at Joe's sentencing 
and he went from five felonies and three misdemeanors down to one misdemeanor. Uh, he admitted he pleaded guilty uh, to domestic violence spanning 21 months of time, and he's getting one misdemeanor. So after two and a half years of um, it, this got all the way to the Colorado State Supreme Court. They had access to three years of every bit of my cell phone contents. Um, Joe never turned in his phone. Joe has never spoken. I have done three and a half interview hour interviews with the police. The defense has my cell phone and its contents. They have just smeared me from one end of Colorado to the other. And, um, I have stayed in and I stayed in for two and a half years to have him get a misdemeanor. Um, but I did it just because I wasn't going to quit. I wasn't going to quit no matter what. And I think that they count on that. They count on women or whomever's been victimized men. They count on them having enough, you know, when it's going to the Colorado state Supreme court and they have your cell phone and, and uh, you know, you see some of the, the awful tactics and dirty tactics that they are using. Um, I wanted to quit many times. There were many, many times where I would be like, that's it. They win. That's it. And I would, I would just cry or give myself 24 hours and I'd wake up and be like, no, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to silence me. So, um, you know, I, I look at these girls who come forward and I hurt for them because I, I know that it is not going to be an easy road and that they can come out and have a press conference and they can get like 24 hours of support. And then it's like gaslighting, like people just move on because there's going to be another school or another story that comes forward. You can't keep them straight anymore. And, and then the teams are going to go back on the field, back on the court and they're going to win and everyone's going to put on their school colors and they're going to look the other way. And disheartening. And, and so before I get to talking a little bit more about what's going to happen Thursday, talk a little bit about the support that you received um, from your family and how that helped you through this process. Um, because uh, I have the best family in the world. I have the best family in the world. And in addition, like there have been, you know, there have been so many people who have come in at just the right time, like, and they don't even know it. Um, but my mother, uh, you know, my family has unwavering faith and love. Um, and so there were times, you know, and they would, and my mother was always like, if you want to stop, we'll just stop right now. My mother was the queen of let's quit this, let's pack our bags and go home. But the rest of my family was always, you're, you know, you're strong enough to do this. We can do this together. My son, you know, before the Sports Illustrated article, I said, buddy, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And he sent me a text and he, and it's in the article, but he sent me a text that, you know, said, we can get through this together. Um, we're strong enough to get this through this together. Mama, you need to do this for all the females who have been silenced by big business and athletic. And, um, and so my family has been very much about doing what's right. And, you know, they, they love me. They love me unconditionally. So uh, they've been, I couldn't have done it without them. Like they flew out to Colorado to go with me to the police department. And um, my sister sat with me for eight hours. She came up from Nashville when I was interviewed by Cousin O'Connor. I didn't have an attorney. 
so my sister sat next to me and um my whole family is showing up in in Colorado and you know my brother they brought that up which I don't know what difference it makes but um the defense put in their motion that, that I have some very wealthy family members I don't know what that has to do with anything but you know I'm like yeah I do I don't know what that has to do with anything they're just amazing um and they're supportive and loving so my brother He's CEO of American Airlines. He and his wife are flying up um, from Dallas. My sister and mom are flying in from Nashville. My son's flying in from L.A. with his girlfriend. Um, and we're all going to be in there on Thursday when they decide what sentencing they're going to give Joe. He can get from six months to two years um, in jail with this with this one misdemeanor. It carries six months to two years. So our hope is is that even though they showed great leniency in the um, in reducing his sentence, that they will at least go very um, go very strong with the um, sentencing portion. But there's no way to tell. But we're going to go out and we're going to speak our truth and we're going to look him in the eye and tell him the impact that he has had on each one of us as a family. And there have been advocates around the country. There have been CU professors. Um, one of them is flying in from Utah to be there. There's an advocate. A lot of people I've never even met. Nice little girl who lives in Oklahoma who's been supportive. Um, she's She was raped at uh, Notre Dame, and she's been a great support, and she's going out. Katie Nida, who's the first female uh, D1 kicker uh, to score points on the D1 football game. Katie Nida, um, she was part of a scandal at CU, and she has, she's going to be there. She just called me today. So there are so many people that I don't even know who have, you know, really supported me and um, believed me and have, you know, stood up for me. And, you know, I appreciate that very much. Okay. And, and you mentioned your family, and I wasn't mm-hmm. going to bring it up. Um, but Go ahead. It, but, okay. But, okay. So you, you're from this very prominent family and I won't get get into all of the details, but, but coming from that, it, it also brings in that this was never about money. And to be clear no. that this was never about money because people seem to always deduce that, that these allegations is about a woman that is seeking money. Um, and for Correct. and for you, um, I know that this was never about money, um, primarily because of your family background and and what that meant in terms of you um, fighting this battle. Yes. And so in the criminal case, there would have I mean, I suppose that Joe could have restitution of some sort, but like I am out so much money. That's the part that people don't understand is how much this has cost. Um, and that's my personal money that I have borrowed from family. So I, I make money. I am out a tremendous amount of money. Um, and then there was a lawsuit against the University of Colorado after the report came out. There was a lawsuit. And in the lawsuit, it was to hold them responsible and the only way that the University of Colorado or any college university is going to be held responsible, unfortunately, is financially. And um, so 
it was stated that anything that was made, if I was awarded any money whatsoever, that wasn't, none of it was coming to me. I don't want their money. I never wanted their money. Um, it was going to go towards victims assistance at colleges. Um, because I, there's something wrong, <laughs> something wrong, horribly wrong where victims are not getting the type of assistance that they need on college campuses. And there are a lot of young girls who are, um, not getting what they need. So that's where the money was going to go. And the federal suit was, was thrown out because the judge said, despite the fact that what I said was true and that these men did do these things, um, I am not, I was not an employee and I was not a student of the university. So they had no responsibility to me. Okay. So that was thrown out. There is no money involved in this period. Um, but when there was a suit, that's what it was about. It was about accountability and it wasn't coming to me anyway. So no, there's, this has nothing to do with money. And yes, my family is amazing and they're nice and they're kind and they're loving and they're generous and, and they are successful. So, um, yeah. And we have, um, you know, my brother could help me if I think there's a lot of people in my family who could help me if I needed it, but I also have a career and I, I am perfectly capable of taking care of myself. And so this was never once about money. They offered me money on the phone. The attorney was offering me money to go away right at the beginning. And sure. I said, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. So, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. But I know people believe that. Um, of, of course. People often believe of it's course. about money. Of course. Yeah. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I don't think that's the case for many, many women. It's, it's about the principle and about the truth and about accountability. But And so getting to Thursday, you're mm-hmm. going to see Joe. What do you what do you because you mentioned several other people who um, are going to speak on Thursday? What do you plan on telling Joe and talking to him about the damage that he's done to you not only over the last two years, but over the span of the time that you were in your relationship? I don't know yet. Uh, I I need to write it, and it's not that I'm stalling on it. It's that I, I have, there's so many things I've wanted to say to him for over two years, and now it's here. And when I think about walking into the courtroom, when I think about seeing his attorney, when I think about seeing the prosecutor, when I think about seeing Joe, um, you know, I, I get terrified. So I have not been having the best week. I've had to leave work a couple of times early. I didn't think it would be this. I didn't think after all this time I would be having this reaction, but it's, it's pretty terrifying. And I'm not sure what reaction I will have to seeing him. Um, the last time I saw him, uh, November 20th, you know, the very last time I ever saw him, he was literally, you know, dragging me by the root of my hair across his floor and threw me out screaming at me. Um, so that's the last time I ever saw him. I don't, I loved him very much. Uh, I don't know if there will be any part of me that still has that protective or compassionate, um, feeling towards him. I would like to say there won't be, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So, uh, I don't know. I feel very protective of my mother. You know, my brother, um, killed himself this year. Um, my oldest brother. So 
I'm extremely protective of my mom and what she's going through. So the fact that a 79-year-old woman who's grieving um, is flying across the country and is going to stand there and make a victim impact statement when she really is just the kindest soul on earth. It's just really not in her wheelhouse. Um, I'm worried about her. I'm worried about my son because uh, Joe was his coach. And my son Alex is very much more about anger and you know, it's his mom. His mom was beaten repeatedly and strangled repeatedly. And he's going to have to face the man who did it, whom he knows very well. And uh, it's taken a lot of work to get him to this point to be able to even do it. So I don't know what my reaction will be seeing Joe because I've really just been focusing so much on being worried about my mom and my son and what this will be like for them and making sure that they're okay. I don't know. I don't honestly know how this is going to go. And, and so with that, how, I mean, because you talked about it, but how scared are you of this situation? And I'm terrified. Okay. I'm so terrified. And I am, I don't, I don't think I scare easily. And um, I have been fine. Like I really feel as if, you know, I've gone to counseling and, I have done a lot of work on um, working through like, the abuse and, you know, all the things that go along with that uh, and getting really healthy and my brother's stuff. Uh, and so I thought that I was really in a pretty strong, good place. And then this last week, I, I, when I think about, okay, a week from today, it'll literally be a week from today right now, you know, that I'll be walking in that courtroom. Like I, I, you know, I, I, panic and I haven't really been sleeping and, you know, I'm more emotional than usual. I just, I, it seems terrifying and I know that there's going to be cameras in the courtroom and, you know, Sports Illustrated and there'll be a lot of people there uh, recording it and filming it and taking their stance on it. Um, And I don't know, I suppose Joe could... I do not think that he will get jail time, but if he does, if the judge decides to sentence him to jail time, he'll be taken right then. Uh, I don't know what that experience would be like. I've tried to imagine seeing him. He hasn't served any time for anything he's done. So um, I have tried to imagine what that would feel like. If You know, is that something that I would feel was just, or is that something where I would feel sympathetic towards him? I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's something I've never gone through before. So I don't really, I don't know how I'm going to respond and, but I am terrified and I have a big bouquet of flowers on my desk at work. And I just, when I came in right now, there was a little jade stone that someone gave me to carry with me to court. Like I have amazing coworkers and friends and family, and I have so much support and so much love. And, um, you know, I'm going to leave with that regardless of what happens. And so, and we are going to go out to dinner afterwards in Denver, and we are going to have a good time and try to, this will be the last chapter and move forward. Um, I would though, I do want to, though, continue to help, um, you know, other women who go through something similar, because unfortunately there will be people who come after, and I think it's a road that not many people travel, you know, in the middle of college athletics and cover-ups and promotions and all of that. I don't think a whole lot of people experience that. So I think I have a little niche where hopefully I can help, you know, people who come after me in some way. 
and that that leads to my my next question before I leave mm-hmm. you with some final thoughts. But what do you now tell other girls that are in similar situations and people that will look to you as sort of a guide as to what to do when they're dealing with major college athletics and major universities? Yeah, I can't in good conscience at this time encourage people to come forward. So the part where that becomes difficult is in my job because I have females here who, you know, young girls who come to talk to me and they have been sexually assaulted over the weekend or they have, you know, they have something that's happened that needs to be reported to the police. At this point, at this juncture, you know, I know what I'm supposed to say and I say what I'm supposed to say. And I usually go and get another counselor to send in with us and I call their parents and, um, but I am not able, I do not say the same things I used to say, which because I know it's not the case. I know that it's going to be okay that I can't say that. I can't look at a young girl and tell them that it's going to be okay because it can be horrible and you have to be, you have to be so strong. And if I was a 19 year old girl, I couldn't have done this. I am an old woman and I live in another state and I have my own career and I have great family support. And, um, you know, I, my finances weren't dependent on him and all of that. And it's still been grueling. I can't think of any other word than grueling. And um, so it's, I think that I could talk to girls who were going to go through a similar situation that I was in with athletics. And I think that I would guide them very carefully because it's a, I had no idea like, the DA is involved. Like I wouldn't have ever known that. I didn't even know how the DA fit into the, into the system. I didn't, I don't even watch law and order, Darren. I don't know what's going on. So I didn't even understand the court system. And I had uh, Brenda Tracy, who is a advocate, a very well-known advocate. And she talked to me and said, well, the worst part of my whole process was the DA. You have to watch the DA's office. And I was like, why? I was just, And that really was one of the worst parts of the process. So I do think that I can help women who are in a similar situation because I, I, I know the ropes, but as far as young girls who are getting ready to report being sexually assaulted or um, domestic violence, you know, dating relationships, it's so hard because I just look at them and they're looking to me for help and I know what they're about to enter. And Um, it's really a pretty unkind process for people who've been abused. And I I would like to be able to be a part of that change. I'm not positive how to make that happen, though. Okay. And as we part um, today, give give us your Mm -hmm. final thoughts on everything that's going on, what you hope will happen on Thursday, and... um, your thoughts on the whole situation? Um, my thoughts on the whole situation, as far as Thursday, my hope is is that there's some type of justice after two and a half years. I, I believe that he deserves jail time, and I hope that he is given jail time. Um, either way, what my greatest hope on Thursday is that I leave with my family and we have a sense of peace that um, we are able to 
to say, okay, that was it. That's the final chapter. There's it's over. And we don't look back with any regrets. Um, my brother, Jeff was really, uh, he was involved with the NCAA. He was involved with college athletics and he told me every step of the way, let me tell you what they're going to do. Let me tell you the playbook. And he was right through the entire process. He knew exactly what they were going to do every step of the way. So, um, I'm very sad that he won't be there. Um, so that's, that part's hard as well. Um, not having my brother there with us. Um, so I'm looking for, you know, some, some, just some peace and some closure and to come back to my high school on Monday and, you know, just be able to put this behind us. And I believe I'm on certainly older and I'm hmm. wiser. Um, and I think I'm, I think I'm more compassionate now towards stories that I hear. Um, I believe survivors a lot more than I used to. Um, so, and I guess that's, that's probably my greatest, my greatest wish is just some peace okay. for everyone in this. Well, well, thank you, Pam. I, we, I appreciate you taking out time and speaking with, um, the show uh, this afternoon. And thank sharing. you for having me. I love your podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You're I'm, welcome. I'm glad you're a listener too. That's a that makes me feel very happy and proud as well. Um, but um, obviously, we wish you the best on Thursday, and um, and and you moving forward as well, um, because we don't want to see not only you but any other woman to go through the kinds of things that, that you've gone through over the last uh, two, three, four years and all of that stuff. And so with that, we're going to sign off from Beyond the Headlines, and I hope you guys uh, tune in to the show next week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you Get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. (laughs) 